Morning, morning. Can you hear me? Am I on? Yeah, great. Right, how does this thing work? No, not like that. <clears throat> Thank you, my love. Thank you. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to look at the subject of joy. So I'm so delighted that Jo came up and shared with us about her laughter. That was just perfect. That's what God's been speaking to me about over the last six or seven months, really. It's been quite a long time that I've been like dwelling on this on this topic and on what God has for us. Um, and so I'm delighted to share it with you this morning. So I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you um, that you have something for us this morning. And I pray that you would give me the words to convey that message that you have for us and that you would open our ears to hear. I pray that the result would be that we would know you better and follow you more closely. And I pray that you would increase your joy in us as a result. Thank you, Father. Amen. So we're going to think about joy today. And first of all, let's just um, have a little think about how happy we are. How happy are you? Did you have a great breakfast? Did someone cook you a fry up? Did you go to the green rooms of Godston and have pancakes? <laughs> or yesterday, did your football team win? Is there something that's made you happy today? But we're going to look at joy today, and we're not talking about the feelings on the surface that can be changed in minutes just by our circumstances, by something good that happens. We're going to think about what's deep within us. Do we have deep joy within us? We've been going through quite a difficult period as a church with lots of people being really, really unwell and suffering with various things. So is it really appropriate to talk about joy in the midst of that? Well, yes, I think it is because we need to look at what the Bible says and take hold of that if there is joy for us. Can we be joyful in the midst of our suffering? Even in the midst of depression, there's people in the church suffering with mental health problems. Can we take hold of what God has for us in the midst of that? If you're suffering with depression, or even, you know, even if you're not, any of us, I don't want anyone to take any part of this message as um, judgment on them. I don't want you to feel convicted. This is not like there is joy for you, take hold of it, and if you haven't got it, then you should feel judged. That is not at all what it is, and I just want to say that from the start. I pray that you would only take from this message what is helpful for all of us. Oh, my tablet keeps going blank. How do I stop that happening? <laughs> Just get my technical manager to uh, sort that out. <laughs> um, there's an example to us in the New Testament. Um, when we read Paul's letters, there's a lot of joy in there. And have you noticed how Paul goes through all this suffering and really bad things happen to him, like, you know, he's imprisoned, people want to kill him. He's, like, really suffering at times. And yet there's chapters, like, chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians is entitled Paul's Joy. Like, Paul is a really joyful guy, and yet all this awful stuff is happening to him, and he is suffering. Um, 
I can tell you the reference in a minute. There we go. Um, 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul describes himself as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So it's like there's this stuff on the surface that's happening. There's this suffering, this bad stuff that makes him sorrowful. Yet he's always rejoicing because he has that deep joy. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And my personal reflection on this subject sort of started, like I said, about six or seven months ago. It was in the summer last year. We were on holiday in Somerset, and Paul and I and the kids went to visit another church in Somerset. And we walked in, and it was a bit like walking in on a family party. They were all so happy to see each other. Like, there was so much hugging going on. <laughs> and it was a bit like, oh, like we've walked into something that's like, you know, it's family, and, and they were so happy. And I was like, what is wrong with them? Why are they all so happy? And God was like, why aren't you? <laughs> and so then I started to think about it. And I started to sense, I, I had a sort of feeling of um, unease or dissatisfaction in a way um, with my own joy and also our, the joy in our corporate worship. I started to sense like a lack of joy in the church, but a lack of corporate joy reflects a lack of personal joy, and I didn't know whether it was just me that was feeling this or whether there were other people in the, in the church sensing a lack of joy, and that's why there was a lack of joy in our corporate worship. It could have just been me, and I was mistakenly ascribing it to the whole church. So if I'm just preaching to myself this morning, that's okay. <laughs> Father, I want increased joy. But, you know, it won't do the church any harm to hear God's word, what God has to say on the subject of joy. It won't do you any harm to come with me on this journey of um, seeking joy, and it will do you some good, actually, to hear what God says on the subject. And then, so when I started thinking about it and preparing for today, um, I was like, yeah, this is what God has for me, so this is what I'm going to bring. And then I was really encouraged to hear that Lorraine and the King's women were stirred to look at joy as their subject for January. That's what they were looking at and talking about. And I took that as confirmation of the fact that that's what God has for us. And then two weeks ago, Quincy had a word on joy as well. Um, he wanted to pray for someone at the end um, for the for more joy. And then this morning we have Joe coming up and talking about laughter. So I really think this is what God has for us and it's not just for me. And I think, you know, sometimes I think it might just be our English reserve that we don't show our joy on the surface. Um, we just keep it quite private and inside. Um, but when, um, also when Gina came up to give her testimony of healing, I, I was like, why isn't everybody whooping and jumping about? <laughs> and you know, that might just be the way that we are, but it might just be that there was a lack of joy corporately as a church. And you know, that's partly because we're in the midst of this period of trials and suffering where people are unwell. But we have this prophetic word to the church. Um, the picture, James, can we have the picture of the prophetic word up? That would be great. So there's this picture with the table. Um, these are our, our responsibilities to be committed to God, obedient, dedicated, and to pray. Um, if you haven't seen this, there's a little leaflet at the back, I think, which explains it more. Um, and God has these bowls for us on the table. Salvation, healing, spiritual gifts, fruit of the Spirit, 
and there's these cages that people are trapped in that to do with um, physical and mental ill health and emotional suffering. Um, and God has promised us a healing anointing. You know, God's like, I'm going to do something about this. Um, and that's in the bowls. And also, if you look carefully at this picture, there's joy right in there. So the bowl with the fruits of the Spirit. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Where have I written them? Galatians 5, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is number two on the list after love. So it's in that bowl. It's right there for us. So let's take hold of it. And then also at the bottom there of the picture, sorry, James, um, Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. This is the part of Scripture that we believe that God has spoken over this church, which is tied in with this picture. And right in the middle of... um, that passage as well, which Tim spoke about last week, God promises us the oil of joy instead of mourning. Let's read that, Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance for our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, there it is, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So there it is. It's right in there in the middle of this prophetic picture, this prophetic word that we've had for the church. And there's this bowl, and it's got joy in it for us to feast on. So I believe that part of God's anointing and response from that prophetic picture is that he wants to increase our joy as a church. So that's what we're going to look at today. So what is the oil of joy in, um, in that passage from Isaiah? What is it? Well, it's generally accepted that the references to the oil of joy in the Bible are referring to the Holy Spirit or one of the results of his presence. And we see that in this passage because it starts with, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, then goes on to, to bestow on them the oil of joy instead of mourning. Or in some translations, it says the oil of gladness. Gladness, joy, same thing. And Charles Spurgeon wrote about this, about um, the oil of joy, the Holy Spirit. He says, wherever he comes as an anointing, that's the Holy Spirit, whether upon the Lord Jesus or upon his people, upon the Christ or the Christians, upon the anointed or upon those whom he anoints, in every case, the ultimate result is joy and peace. And we see this in Acts, when, the, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts. Um, in Acts 13, 52, it says, And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. It's like they go hand in hand. When the Spirit comes, he brings joy. So we see that the Holy Spirit brings joy, and Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, and so he had joy. But what about God the Father? Is God joyful? That's one of our questions today. 
Well, the Holy Spirit is God. He's one of the three persons of the Trinity. And we see that joy comes from the Spirit. So joy comes from God. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 11, Paul's talking about the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Now, that's a load of kind of Christian jargon. What does that mean? Well, gospel means good news. And blessed, there are actually two words in Hebrew and Greek that get translated into English as blessed in the Bible. One's used in prayer when you're asking for blessing from God. But the other isn't like a wish or to invoke blessing, but it recognizes a state of happiness or good fortune that's already there. And this is the word that's used like in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, um, and here in 1 Timothy. So actually, a clearer translation of this line, um, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, would basically be the good news of the glory of the happy God. He literally calls God the happy God in this verse. God is happy. And he was happy right from the start, right from before creation. At creation, we see that God says, it is good. He was rejoicing. He was happy in what he had created. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Do we have a picture of a father who rejoices over us with singing? Um, I'm married to Paul, and sometimes Paul (laughs) gives me a really good illustration of what God is like as a father. So when our children were small and he used to change their nappies and things like that, he would often rejoice over them with singing. And so when I think about this passage and how God rejoices over me with singing, I don't think about him like Handel's Messiah or or like some big operatic number. I think about the way that that Paul rejoices over his children with singing. So it's um, usually a little jazz kind of doobity-doo-wop. But, you know, like, he's quite good at the little rhyming couplets. And blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's more, almost like absent-mindedly. It's like the joy bubbles up inside him, and he's just happy and like getting on with changing a horrible nappy, or you know. And that's what God is like. The joy just like bubbles up inside him, and he rejoices over us with singing. And it might be helpful for you. It's helpful for me there's this early picture of what the Trinity is like. If you like long words, um, like Becky does, it's called perichoresis. Um, And it's this early Christian image um, of the Trinity being like a dance, like an eternal dance. It's called perichoresis. And it's like a circle dance. You know, like... um, like at a Greek wedding, when they're like arms around each other, duh, 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 like that. And you've got like the three persons of the Trinity in a circle, um, like Zorba the Greek, and <laughs> going round and round. And it's like a picture of this unending flow of giving and receiving, of love and joy. And it's a really dynamic thing. It's like a picture of the relationship of the Trinity. I find that really helpful. Um, It's like the love and joy of the Trinity kind of overflowed into creation when God created us. And, you know, it gets faster and faster, and it's like a blur, so it's like they become one, you know? 
The persons of the Trinity delight in each other, and that's where they find their joy, in each other. So who are we worshipping? Are we worshipping a God of joy? You know, the Bible says that we become like the God we worship. In 2 Kings 17, 15, it says they followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. That's the Israelites when they turned away from God. And in Hosea 9, verse 10, it says, but when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. Are we worshipping the God of the Bible, this God of joy? If we worship a God, a God that's miserable, we'll become miserable. And that's not the God of the Bible. We need to know who our God is and what he's really like. And that only comes from the word and spending time with him. So I'd encourage you to read for yourselves what is God like and what do we want to become? You know, the Holy Spirit uses um, the fruits of the Spirit to make us more like Jesus. That's our goal. We're going to become like the God we worship. So let's know that our God is joyful. So what does that mean for us in times of suffering or in times of trial? So what if our God's joyful, you know, if I'm not? Well, there's this line that we sing from a song, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We sing that, but do we actually mean it? And what, what does it mean? Where does it come from? So that line, the joy of the Lord is our strength, comes from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Dale's been talking about Nehemiah a little bit over the last few weeks. Um, the Israelites had um, gathered together to rebuild Jerusalem. They'd been spread by the Babylonian Empire. They'd gathered back together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And um, the Levites, the priests, they, came to, they gathered the people and they read the word of God to them. They read the, the scriptures. And the, it was like their history, the history of the Israelites turning away from God and then realizing their sin and coming back to God, and then doing it again, worshiping idols, then realizing their sin and being called back to God. So when the priests read the word of God, the Israelites realized their sin, and they all started to weep. That doesn't happen often when we're preaching, does it? Like Everyone just starts to weep because they realize their sin. They saw their history of turning away from God, and they were reminded that God is faithful. But then Nehemiah says, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They were reminded that God is joyful, and they didn't have cause to mourn their sin because they'd repented, and because God had a plan. God is joyful because he has a plan. He has a plan for redemption, to make things right again. He has a plan to, to make it right again, even when people turn from their sin, that they can be reunited to him and be in relationship with him. And God didn't want them to sit there mourning and weeping, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. He had a job for them to do, and he wanted them to get on with it. He wanted them to get on with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And if they were despondent and downcast, that left them weak. That left them just sitting around, oh, it's no use. We're just going to sit here. But God had a job for them to do. 
And he knew that knowing there's a plan would give them strength to continue. God had a plan for redemption. God was joyful in that plan. And that gave the Israelites strength to continue. It's a bit like when my kids have something to do, like some homework or a craft thing. Oh, just yesterday, um, Dillis got a red nose and they come in a little box now, one of the red nose day things, a little box. And you can make it into a castle or something. I don't know. And she accidentally ripped it. And obviously that brought on tears. She was devastated. I wanted to make my castle. And she's like, oh, it's no use. I'll just throw it away. It can go in the bin. But I was like, darling, it's all right. There's a wonderful invention called sellotape. It's fine. <laughs> we can fix it. And then she was like, oh, okay then. Like, there was a plan. There was a plan to fix it. There was a plan to redeem her cardboard castle. And that gave her strength to continue because she was like, oh, it's okay. It can be fixed. There's another illustration of this in the book of Habakkuk not one that we often hear about or preach on um, in church. It's quite a small book in the Bible. It's one of the minor prophets, really small book, only three chapters. Habakkuk was a temple prophet and not much, really not much else is known about him. Um, this was before the Israelites were scattered um, by the Babylonians. Basically, God revealed to Habakkuk that that's what was going to happen. <clears throat> so three chapters. The first two chapters are God's conversation with Habakkuk, um, this, this conversation um, about what's going to happen, the fact that God is going to allow the Babylonians to take Jerusalem. And Habakkuk's like, why? That's a terrible plan. When it was him in the first place who said, God, you've got to do something. Jerusalem is full of sin. What are you going to do? When God says, oh, I'm going to allow the Babylonians to come. (laughs) Habakkuk's like, that's a terrible plan. Why are you going to do that? Because Habakkuk realizes the devastation that this would cause. The Babylonians were like the first nation to completely destroy the lands that they conquered. They had, um, it's called a scorched earth policy. It's like a military policy or strategy they would just come and cause complete devastation and um, like burn all the crops and everything so that um, so you know so that no one can survive and so that no one would have any resources they destroyed the resources so Habakkuk knew the devastation this would cause um, that that the Babylonians were coming but chapter three is a psalm written by Habakkuk where he rejoices anyway because he knows that God has a plan, that God has a plan for redemption, and this gives him strength. So let me read that to you, this passage 3, 17 to 19. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So we see he's like giving this picture of devastation, of no food, famine, financial ruin. There's no grapes, no olives, no food, no sheep. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
Why? Why will he rejoice in the Lord? Because it says, I will be joyful in God my Saviour. He shows this intrinsic link with um, his joy and God's plan to save him, God's plan for redemption. That's why he chooses to rejoice, because God has a plan to save. And then the, the very next line, the sovereign Lord is my strength. That gives him strength, strength to continue. So what is God's plan? Well, actually, God's plan is a person. God's plan is Jesus. God's plan for redemption is Jesus. Jesus talks about this um, in John 15, 9 to 11, where he's talking about the vine and the branches. He's talking about how we can have a relationship with God the Father through him. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus is saying our joy comes from having a relationship with the Father through him. That's God's plan for redemption. It's Jesus. And in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him, that's why he endured the cross. The joy of bringing others into relationship with the Father. The joy of salvation. <clears throat> if you don't know the joy of salvation, I encourage you to think about this. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's joy there, right? There's joy that there's this redemption that God wants to save you. He gave his only son to save you and bring you into relationship with him. If you don't have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus, then we'd really love to pray for you later on this morning that you would know Jesus, that you would come into relationship with God the Father, that you would understand this plan of redemption for your life. You know, we're not after, like, short-term hysteria or smiles on our faces just for a Sunday morning when we come to church. This is about deep joy within us, and that no matter what is going on on the surface in our circumstances, that we would know the joy of our salvation and God's plan. Josie told me that there was a period before Paul and I joined this church where the Holy Spirit poured out his incredible joy in times of corporate worship, resulting in laughter. Just people just like falling about in church. I love that. <laughs> and I've seen it in, in some of our meetings where people um, just suddenly feel like they need to laugh and it just comes out. And, you know, that can look a little bit like hysteria to someone just coming in going, what is going on here? Uh, <laughs> I think there's been a bit of bad press, like, for the church, the wider church in general. Where people see, like, the Holy Spirit moving and go, that's weird. Um, 
but it's not hysteria. It reflects a deep move of God in people's hearts, in our souls, that just can't be contained and that comes out. You know, I want to pray for that. Let's pray for more of that. We want to pray for joy in our hearts and becoming more like the happy God that we worship. A deep joy that's not changed by our circumstances. A joy based on our salvation, on God's plan. So how do we pursue that joy? Do you know that God has a plan for you? Do you know Jesus? That's the first thing. If you don't, I'd really love to pray for you. And then let's get to know our God. Let's pray and read the Bible. Let's really get to know the glory of the happy God because the God that we worship is happy. You know, in Psalms, like the very first Psalm, Psalm 1, says, blessed is the man who blah, blah, blah. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. It's basically a whole book. That's the introduction to the book of Psalms. It's basically a whole book about how to find delight in God, about how to be happy. And let's trust in God's promises. You know, the promises in Scripture and also the the promise in the picture, the prophetic picture that God has for us that he has joy for us in that bowl on the table, and let's choose to rejoice and praise him. As well as receiving joy as a fruit of the Spirit, we can also also pursue it. It's not a passive thing that God's just going to give it to you, like whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not. Like we, we can choose, and there's lots of bits in the Bible where it's, it's like an order. It's like be joyful always in Thessalonians and in Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's like it's a choice for us. And, you know, these are orders. It's a decision for us to be joyful and we should pursue it, especially in times of suffering like we've been going through when people are unwell. Um, you know, Rosemary told me that um, when Sammy was unwell, she just kept praying for joy. She kept praying for the joy of the Lord. And maybe that was God prompting her, like, this is what you need. This is how you're going to get through this because the joy of the Lord is her strength. Um, and that's what she felt that she should pray for. And, you know, in Philippians 4, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Let's dwell on it. Let's think about our salvation and dwell on the things that God has for us, the things that he's promised us, and go after it. But also, let's pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Because God wants to grow that in us. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. He wants to grow joy in us. And that's what this, the, the picture promises us. Let's have that back again, James, if that's okay. <coughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, this, this prophetic picture that God has this bowl, like, full of the fruits of the Spirit. And it says um, that there are spoons as big as ladles. God wants us to, like, ladle it out and lap it up, um, the fruit of the Spirit. And as a result, people will be freed from their cages. They'll be freed from their suffering of physical health and um, poor mental health as well. And I just want to really encourage us to take hold of that today. Thank you. I'd like to invite the band back. And if you'll stand with me now, I'd like to pray in closing. Thank you. Father, thank you that you have a plan for us. You have a plan for redemption 
that this world would be how you intended it to be right from the off. Thank you that that plan has a name and his name is Jesus. And we praise you for that, Father. I pray that you would help us get to know the happy God, you, the happy God that we worship. And I pray that you would help us to trust in your promises and choose to rejoice. And Father, I pray that you would continue to fill us with the Holy Spirit and grow your fruit of joy in us. Amen.